Well, welcome once again. Again, my name is Tony, and um, like I said, Pastor Ralph and Susie are out of town, and so I'm privileged to get to share with you this morning. Um, we are in week two of a five-long uh, series that we've called Better Together, and the idea of this series, Better Together, is that life was not designed for you and I to go at it alone. Uh, the reality is life uh, is not only better enjoyed when we enjoy so uh, together, but it's also um, even suffering and times of hardship are designed so that we go through it not alone, but with other people around us. And the idea behind this series is that as legacy continues to grow and as legacy continues to uh, purposely push out into the community and open up our doors uh, to everyone who is in need, we want to ensure that we're creating an atmosphere that is healthy, a community that not only welcomes people, but also accepts them and loves them as they are and then watches as God does what only he can do in our lives. And last week, Pastor Ralph talked about what it would look like for all of us in a community that's living for each other, with each other, and amongst each other, and what it would look like for us to become great together. And the idea behind last week was that in order for us to become great, we need to become those that are willing to serve and serve each other. This week, I'd like to talk about, and I've titled my message, A Healthy and Robust Community. Uh, you see, I, I believe that God's desire is that we become a healthy and robust community. And I'm going to break that down here in a little bit. But I think beyond a Sunday experience, beyond just a, a, a scene, or beyond just a Sunday event, I am convinced that Jesus taught us how to live in a healthy community and that Sundays and people are not coming to church just for the sake of an experience or an event on Sunday. But if you and I are honest with each other, we are in dire need of relationship. We're in desperate need of relationship with, with people. We're in desperate need of being known and knowing caring and being cared for. And if you're honest with me today, um, I believe you and I didn't come here just so that we could fill our schedules with yet another event. But we understand and we're looking for relationship. And so I believe that in order for relationships and for them to, to happen in a healthy way, God is calling us to build a healthy and robust community. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn to James chapter three. And we're going to actually look at the entire chapter today, but I'm going to just open up with the last two verses, and that's found in verse 17 through 18, and it says this, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. That sounds really simple, right? And all of you guys that are married are like, yeah, absolutely, getting along is super easy. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. Check this out. You can develop a healthy and robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you because your word is able to speak to us in a way that my words can't. God, I want to thank you because your word can soften even the hardest of hearts. I thank you because your word guides us and it directs us. And from it, God, we can learn wisdom and we can be challenged in growing and becoming more and more like you, Jesus. I pray, God, that this morning as we talk about specific subjects that may even be challenging, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be here in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would direct each word that comes out of my mouth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to really quickly just talk to the guys in the room. It has nothing to do with uh, being sexist or anything, but I'm just going to, I'm going to address the guys here in the room for, for a moment. And, and I'm going to isolate them even more. Guys, those of you that, that are married, I'm going to speak to you that are married. Are there things that you once did uh, for the sake of love that you no longer do? 
Are there things that when you first met your wife or your significant other and, and when you were madly in love with her, were there some things that you did to win her heart over that now you find yourself uh, no longer doing it? Um, I shared this last Wednesday night at Youth and I was sharing with them that uh, after almost 11 years of being married to Sophia, I always ask her, I'm like, why did you even say yes to me? You know, we were, we were 18 year old punk kids and I, I had made her all these promises that really I've, I've barely even scratched the surface of actually fulfilling a lot of these promises. Cause you know, when you're 18 years old, you have it all figured out. Um, and, and I remember, uh, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was asking Sophia, Hey, what are some things that, that I did for, for you or for, for love that I, I never, you know, have, 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 I haven't done them. And it was amazing. She had like a long list. And I felt like, <laughs> I felt like God was like healing her as she's talking to me. I'm like, well, I needed one example, all right? No, no, but, but, but the one example that we both agreed on was when we first met, I pretended to like going to the symphony. Uh, those of you that are well-educated and, and well-versed in culture uh, can appreciate the symphonic sounds of a full orchestrated orchestra for four and a half hours and in a 30-minute break and in another four and a half hours. And I understand that some of you actually enjoy that, but I just pretended to enjoy that when we first met. And Sophia said, you know, uh, we went to the symphony on our first date, and there's a story behind that that I won't tell because it's not a public story. And then there's another story about us going there right after we got engaged. And, and I remember us going to the symphony a lot, but then I remembered, oh, that's because since we were music students in college, they gave us extra credit if we went there. And since I had really bad grades, I needed all the extra credit I could get, so I'd just go to the symphony every weekend. It's just something I haven't done. And, and if you read the book of James, and particularly this chapter, chapter 3, James is actually challenging us that much like love, if you have faith, you're willing to do some things that are completely out of the ordinary. When, when you love God, when you, when you put your faith in God, that faith becomes active. And because of that activity, there's things inside of you that actually begin to change. Your desires begin to change and you begin to do some crazy things for love or for the sake of love. And, and I believe James today, and by the way, if you're single, take notes. Guys, this is what's wrong with us sometimes. We do what it takes at the beginning and then we don't continue to do it. Just continue to do it. And those of you that have been married for a long time are going to say a big amen to that to help me out. Okay, there's like two of you that said amen to that. Thank you. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we're, if, we're, if we're living out our faith, there are even crazy things that we're willing to do, whether it's fake that we like an eight-hour symphony uh, concert, if you can call it that, or, and I'm probably offending some of you because some of you love it, and that's all right. But the fact of the matter is, as we journey through this series, aside from my comedic relief here, I am convinced that God wants us all to understand what it looks like to not only live like him, but also love like he. I'm convinced as we journey through this series and as Legacy Church is in um, kind of a, a new season, I am convinced God not only is interested in you and I understanding things about him and how Jesus lived, but I'm convinced he is adamant and passionate about you and I also loving the same way that he did. And you see, in our culture, in our 2019 culture, what is mostly needed are not churches that talk and just simply act, but churches that live and love. You see, we live in a culture where true love and the essence of love is so misunderstood that there needs to be a cultural counterbalance to it. And I believe that cultural counterbalance is called the church. You see, Jesus Christ himself walked on this earth 2,000 years ago to not only transform our way of thinking, but our way of living and loving. He came to revolutionize the way that they thought that they thought that they should live, the way they thought that they should act. But Jesus also not only did that 2,000 years ago, but he's asking for us to do it today. And our culture is in such dire need 
Because you see, Christians are oftentimes more known for the things that we're against rather than the things that we're for. And I wonder what would happen in our city and in our community if Legacy Church began to be known more for what we are for rather than what we're against. I wonder what would take place if those things that naturally and, and humanly may look and sound crazy to us begin to become our norm because out of faith and love, we put that into practice and now we begin to live and talk and live differently and love differently. So James here is writing to, by the way, the book of James is written by a guy named James. Uh, you see, my theology is great already. And James was actually the brother uh, of Jesus. And you, you could say that he's the half-brother of Jesus because basically he came from the same mom but not from the same dad. James, little brother of Jesus. And actually, like most little brothers, James didn't believe in Jesus really until he had an encounter with Jesus in his basically after he showed up after he had died. So James had a really tough time with this idea that Jesus was God and until he actually had a revelation of whom Jesus was and the reality that he in fact was the savior of the world, he then begins to passionately write these letters. And he's writing, check, uh, ch check it out, he's not writing to people that are checking out Christianity, not people that are kind of exploring faith. He's writing to what's known as the 12 tribes and these are believers that said and claimed to not only believe in Jesus, but have faith in him and live passionately for him. So, so this scripture here, and, and I don't mean to completely put you off to the side if you're not a believer here today. In fact, if you're not a believer, and in fact, you, you're here beginning your faith journey or you've got questions, this is a great time for you to be here because you'll get an inside look of what it looks like for us to actually live this out. But now I'm gonna to talk to those of you that claim, like me, to profess a faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, uh, through James, is beginning to talk to, to believing Jews and, and they claim to follow his teachings and, and who he is. But, but the truth is, just like God was speaking back then, I believe he's trying to speak to us today. So today, I'm gonna to break out two simple elements that I believe have to do with the healthy and robust community. I believe James was passionate about this. I believe Jesus is passionate about this. The first thing that we're gonna talk about is our words, how we use our words. How do we talk to each other? How do we talk when no one else is around? How do we talk to ourselves? And the second thing is, is wisdom. So in order to do that, we're gonna go back to the beginning of the chapter and we're gonna to jump to James 3, verse one to two. And it says this, James starts out saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, those of us that teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And let me just pause right there and just even the playing field right now. I, I just, I wanna pause right there and I wanna look at that very last sentence. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. You know, you see James right here, he's about ready to push some buttons He's about ready to say some things that are a little bit hard to swallow. He's about to address some pretty difficult things that have to do with creating a healthy community. And he says, before we do that, and, and before anyone starts blaming someone else or pointing fingers, or before you start beating yourself up, I just want to lay down the groundwork and say, hey, everybody, we all stumble in many ways. And so I would actually venture to tell you here, uh, before you look at me, and think that just because I've got great hair and great style and a horrible sense of humor that I too have got it figured out. No, the real. So we're here to talk about the words that we use in private, the words that we use when no one else is listening, the words that we say when that person's not in the room, the words that we speak to our children, the words that we say to our spouses to our coworkers, to our parents. The words that we use in, in public or even in front of everyone, the kind of conversations we have. And, and here's the thing, guys, uh, before we even go any further, a message like today runs the risk of all of us walking out of here going, I'm gonna need to do better. 
I'm going to need to watch my words. I'm going to need to get better. And I'm just here to tell you, we all stumble in many ways. And so the message, and, you, and you'll hear this, you'll hear this. Today's message has nothing to do with how you and I are going to just need to buck up and buckle down and get better at talking. It has going to have everything to do with God doing something in our insides. And from what happens on the inside, it begins to flow on the outside. And we're going to talk about that. I may have just ruined the punchline, but that's okay. Communication 101. <laughs> Continuing on with James 3. It says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mounts of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship's. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Before we go on any further, James here begins to lay out a picture of just how truly powerful words can be. And it's not necessarily a negative picture, quite honestly. In fact, much has been said about James 3 and about how we all need to watch our mouth and we all need to get better and we, we, we better not say the things that we shouldn't say. But, but the reality is that James is actually painting a, quite a positive picture here. And he's saying, if we actually use our words correctly, ships are powerful, are they not? If, if you're a wannabe cowboy like myself, you love the majesty of a horse. I mean, th think about the majestic movement of a horse. So what James is actually painting here is, is that if we learn how to use our words in the proper way, we'll actually become majestic and powerful. It's, it's kind of an incredible thing. In, in fact, if we use our words correctly, we can do great things. A great example of that is, uh, and, and I'll give it to you here, is uh, my dad. My dad was always, you know, he, how many of you guys know that no dad is perfect? You know, and how many dads would be the first ones to raise their hand and go, I'm not a perfect dad? I'll tell you right now, you could ask all five of my children if I'm perfect, and they're going to say a big resounding yes. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're still listening. My dad wasn't perfect, but there's a couple things that he just consistently did well. And one of the things was he would always speak life into my life. So anytime I, I felt like I was going through a hard moment, I'd come whining and complaining and venting to him. And he's like, no, don't say it like that. Look at that as an opportunity for God to show up. Uh, Dad, um, my, my, my grades are bad. Look at it as an opportunity to cry out to God. And, it's just, and I'm like, man, I can barely keep up with this positivity, right? I'm like, this is way too much. And as a kid, honestly, it was really annoying. And every teenager was like, yep, it was super annoying to me. Yet... As I've gotten older, and as I've hopefully gotten wiser throughout the years, I've begun to understand that the words that he used at a young age began to shape even my ability to have faith, even in my 30s, and as I continue to grow older. You see, I think if we learn how to use our words correctly, we can do great things. Let's continue to read here. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now it's starting to get a little bit crazy. So buckle your seatbelts, and we're, gonna, we're, we're going on this ride along together. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And you're like, holy smokes, all right. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But check this out, verse 8, but no human can tame the tongue. So you're like, all right, so then what's the point? Again, I'm going to go back to one of the first points I made. The thing is, a message like this runs the risk of you and I walking out of here and going, we've got to do better. I've got to tame my tongue. I've got to bite my tongue. I've got to, I, I better watch my mouth. But how many of you guys know that when we try that, it can get really exhausting, and eventually, we try, and we try, and we try, and we're, we're biting our tongue, and eventually our tongue bleeds, and, and then we're watching our mouth, and then something slips out, or, and then finally we just explode, and we go, you know what, I'm just going to keep it real. And so keeping it real nowadays just means I'm just going to be negative Nancy all the time. And no offense to anyone here who's named Nancy, it was just a, a saying, okay? Please. <laughs> I had a friend whose name was Peter, and he goes, I hate it when people are like, for Pete's sake. I'm like, it's just a saying, man. I don't think it's against you. So the point is not that we can do better. 
In fact, verse 8 even says, no human being has the ability of taming the tongue. You see, I think like the Bible would, the Bible's pointing us to the only answer to our very need of brokenness. In fact, it says no human being can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. And see, when we try to do, fix ourselves, when we try to, to, to bite our tongue, to watch what we're saying, it just gets exhausting. But what the Bible is pointing us to here is that he, it's pointing us to the only one that can reach inside of our souls and change us from the inside out. You see, like the Bible would and like James would and should, he's pointing us to Jesus. Verse 9. By the way, guys, I don't expect anyone to be super happy about the next few minutes. In fact, when I was reading and I was preparing, I realized, holy smokes, how short have I fallen in this next area? Verse 9, with our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. It's funny because up until this point, James is giving us simile. He's giving us analogies. It's all kind of theoretical. And then he gets right down to application. And he's talking to this church. Check it out. He's talking to believers. So believers, I'm, I'm speaking to you. Legacy church, I'm speaking to you. Legacy, Jesus was speaking to me this week. And now we're speaking together. And it says, and he says, with the same mouth that we sing these songs and we bless God and we say, amen, hallelujah, glory to Jesus and all of these amazing, beautiful things, that same mouth, we curse those that were made in his image. Oh, man, and if I'm honest, I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand on this. How many times have I made someone less in my heart? Have I devalued someone? Have I completely, uh, you know, uh, pushed them off to the side? How, How many times have I, based on their ethnicity, based on their speech, based on the way they smell, based on the way they look, even, dare I say, based on the way they vote, Jesus is saying, we cannot with the same mouth that we worship and say all these beautiful things then at the same time, literally what James is actually saying is we're actually hurting God himself because we're talking about those that were made in his likeness. Stick with me, all right? Stick with me. There, there's, there's some hope coming, but, but can, can we just let that reality sink in a little bit? You know, how, how many times, and it's so interesting, if you want to, and, and I'm a big believer in that, uh, Sunday mornings, by the way, should not be the only way that you get fed, by the way, just so you know. It's not my job to, to feed you, it's not Pastor Ralph's job to constantly feed you and that be your only source, all right? So, so with that, I'm going to encourage you to go back home and, and read the whole book of James. And you'll realize that the uh, two chapters leading up to James is actually talking about what I would believe the very root of what we nowadays call racism and stereotypical kind of uh, uh, tagging people. And it's so interesting because he, he lays down this groundwork. And it's so crazy how relevant that was 2,000 years ago to the day and age we live in today. Because he's talking to these Jewish people and they go, you guys only hang out with those that look like you, talk like you, believe like you, vote like you, and everything else like you. And he goes, and with that same mouth that you all get around the campfire and you sing Kumbaya, and that's all great, with that same mouth, you literally make someone else lesser of of lesser value even though they were made in the image of God. And I'm going, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm getting hit from left to right. And so I'm asking you, just stick with me, all right? Stick with me. Because here's the thing, I, I, I believe in messages like this, there's this thing that can take place, and that is that we sometimes do, and we shut our hearts down to it, because I believe it's this intersection of tradition and truth. Messages like this come to challenge tradition and truth. In fact, James is talking to Jewish people, people that were full of tradition. 
People that believed in their tradition. People that, quite frankly, their tradition is what led them to become the chosen people of God. But then Jesus shows up and he even says, guess what? Your tradition is inhibiting the gospel from actually having a full effect in your life. The Bible actually talks about that. Jesus himself actually talks about how tradition at times can become the very thing that inhibits the gospel from penetrating our lives. Penetrating our lives. So stick with me because I believe when we talk about these kind of hard subjects sometimes, if you're anything like me, you choose church based on tradition, what I've been taught my whole life. And then I kind of mix a little bit of truth in that and then I make my path. I'm asking you to stick with me because I know that maybe some traditions right now are intersecting with truth and can we all be willing to lay down our traditions and allow the truth of God to prevail in our lives this morning? Can, can we do that? Can we do that as a community together? Five of you are with me. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. I wonder what would happen at Legacy and in our community if we were willing to look at a passage like this and bring those things that we have held as tradition to the table, all of us, and allow the truth of God to actually reign over those things. What does it look like to have a healthy and robust community? A healthy and robust community that doesn't praise God with, 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 with one sentence and then turns around and devalues his very image in the, in the next sentence. That's okay, that's just one of my kids probably causing some troubles in kids' church. I believe the challenge for us today as we are looking at this passage is this, that if we will do this, if we will do this, we will experience extraordinary growth in our lives. I believe that God is challenging us to not only grow um, in our hearts, but in our hearts towards each other and towards other people. You see, there's something crazy that happens when people come together and they choose to walk in unity. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity, and it doesn't mean we agree on every single thing. It doesn't mean we all look the same, we all comb our hair the same way, we all dress the same way, we don't, we, that, that, that we all vote the same way, that we all live in the exact same neighborhood. But there's something powerful about when we're willing to actually let all of those things go and come together in Jesus. So the logical thing then that you're saying and that I probably said at one point is, well, I gotta try harder at this. I gotta get better at this. I, I've, gotta, I've gotta bite my tongue. I, I've gotta watch it when I get mad at somebody and I wanna trash talk them. I, I, I cannot do that. I've, got, I've gotta get better at this. I, I've gotta watch my mouth. Have you guys ever played that game, Watch Your Mouth? It's a fun, hilarious game. You have completely off topic here, but I'm just gonna tell you because there was a squirrel that went by. Uh, you put a mouth, like a mouth guard, like it opens up your mouth, like what you have at the dentist, you know, and then you've got these cards. All the youth are like, yeah, totally, because we've played it at youth. Yeah, and then you've got these cards that you read, and you just look ridiculous, uh, and it's called watch your mouth. So we, here's the thing. We actually look that awkward when we are trying and striving to watch our mouth, when we're trying to strive to, to, to understand other people. You see, that is not what James is saying. This is what James is saying, verse 11 through 12. Are you still with me? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Does a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about context. You see, there's certain analogies here that James uses that for us, we're like, oh, okay, cool, fig tree, yep, uh-huh, uh, water, salty water, yep, okay, let me take it a step further. The context here is that he knows who he's, who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people that have had multiple stories handed down from generation to generation. And I believe James is actually alluding to what you and I read in Exodus 15 and in Matthew 11. You see, in Exodus 15, Moses has about 2 million or so people that he is bringing out of slavery. And they're about to cross this big river. Um, and this big kind of, you know, sea of water or, or, or yeah, it, piece of water, whatever. 
And the people begin to complain. And they start whining and complaining to Moses. And what they're actually complaining about is that the water, and in the Hebrew, uh, we translate it as salty water, but in the Hebrew, they're actually complaining about bitter water. They're like, Moses, this water is bitter. And so Moses does what only he, he thinks he can do, and he goes to God, and he's like, God, these people, I got, literally, you told me to pull these two million people out. I have no idea where we're going, how long this journey's gonna be. Now all there is to drink is just this bitter water. And check this out and track with me on the, with this story. God tells him to grab a, it's literally a piece of a tree. And it's important because, again, the Hebrew translates it as tree, and it's important for later on. Just hang with me. Grabs a piece of tree, throws it into the water, and then when they begin to drink out of the water, it says in the Bible that the water became sweet. Not fresh, sweet. I wonder what James is trying to tell us. I I wonder if this has to do with us trying harder or allowing God to convert our bitter souls into sweetness. You see, if you're a parent here, you're going to agree with me 100%. Babies don't come out sweet. Their pictures on Instagram look sweet. But at 2 a.m. and every brand new parent in here, I expect a big amen from you. At 2 a.m. in the morning, tell me how sweet your baby is when he's screaming and crying. You see, the Bible even says, and that, that's kind of a funny thing, and some of you are like, that's not funny. I'm right smack in the midst of it, and I'm going to tell you, I'm like, it's all right. I've done it five times. Sophia did it five times. I kind of supervised. <laughs> Jesus even says, and, and in his word, we, we read that we are actually all born with sin in our nature. In other words, there's, there's bitter water in our souls. And it's kind of funny that this word translates into a piece of tree, Because I believe it's an analogy of the very tree that Jesus Christ, our Savior, hung on 2,000 years later. Or 33 years later, I'm sorry, 2,000 years ago, 33 years later. Or however many years it was. And and this idea that I've got to try harder has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with can I be so in love with Jesus? Can I do such crazy things for Jesus that I can allow him to turn my bitter soul into a sweet aroma that comes bursting out of so that now when I speak and when I open my mouth, it's not I'm trying to watch my mouth, I'm trying to do better, I'm trying to get, I'm just allowing the very fountain that is in me that was once bitter to come out as sweet as sweet can be. If you've grown up around church and you were privileged to do so, there's always that sweet old lady at church. And I believe legacy's filled with those. Honey, you look so good today. Oh, have you lost weight? And I'm like, nope, definitely gained weight. This dad bod is doing me in. Oh, you're so amazing. Have you guys ever, you know, you could do no wrong. I don't know, but I would like to be that person. I would like to be that sweet person that when people are around them, they cannot help but feel like they are a million bucks. And what would happen if we all became that sweet old lady where we allowed Jesus to penetrate our souls and our hearts and change that bitterness into sweetness? The next thing that James talks about is this fig tree. Matthew 11, Jesus has an encounter, the only encounter he has with the fig tree. Real quick story because we're almost out of time. Jesus comes across this fig tree, and this is what happened with fig trees. And when fig trees are about ready to give fruit, there's a bunch of leaves. Because in the Middle Eastern sun, those leaves would shade the fruit that would come out so that that fruit could actually come out uh, out of that tree. And so he comes across this fig tree, and it's full of leaves, but it has no fruit. James is talking about this has nothing to do with how you and I mask our words has nothing to do with how we appear on the outside. has everything to do with actually being fruitful. Some of you are like, well, here's the thing, Tony. That all sounds great and all, but I can't spend my whole life faking to be positive all the time. I can't just be that positive person all the time. If there's negative Nancy, is there like positive Pam or something like that? I don't know. Let's just make it up. And, and, and you know what? I think you're right. 
I think you're right, because I, I don't think that Jesus is asking us to put on a front, and now we've got a church full of people where anybody, any, when everybody walks in, we're all just positive, and life is grand, and there are no troubles, and we're singing in the rain, you know? See, I believe the fig tree actually offers a balance to the sweet water story. Check it out. I think it brings a balance because the sweet water story talks about how from the inside out, we are changed. The fig tree says, we can't fake that. The fig tree story says, you can't put on a front. You can't just show up on Sunday and how many of us have been guilty to show up, pull up, pull in. Everybody shut up. We're going to be great. We're going to look good. We're going to say hello to everybody. You're going to look them in the eye. You're going to say, God bless you. Lord loves you. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, let's go. And we all come in and we, you know. <laughs> what would happen though, Legacy Church, if we were so in love with Jesus that we allowed him to come in and truly change that bitterness that's in our souls and change it into sweet. I know it may sound weird for a 31-year-old, almost 31-year-old kid to stand up here and go, I would love to be one of those sweet old ladies at church. But I don't know, I'd much rather be a sweet old lady in church than a grumpy old man. I have a good friend uh, Pastor Tom Weiss, who's going to be here next Sunday uh, speaking to us. And he once told me, he's about 15 years ahead in life of me and kind of in all the stages of life as well. Their, their kids are older. They've got four kids. Uh, he's kind of been my mentor for, for a few years. We got to church plant together. And anyway, he's just a plethora of knowledge. And uh, he's got an MDiv. He would hate for me to brag on him. But, like, you know, guy's just a rock star when it comes to theology and experience. And you know what he told me one day? I said, Tom, what's your dream job? Like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I would love to be that guy in the back row of a church. And he's got this big beard that just cheers everybody on. And I'm like, really? Like, that's what you want? Like, that's what you want to do? You, you don't want to be this preacher? You don't want to be? He's like, I just want to be known for that guy that everybody knows. If Tom's there, things are going to be positive. I'm going to encourage people. And I go, man, what would that look like if we had a church full of people, a community full of people that allowed Jesus to transform our bitter souls into sweet? It goes on to say, and we're almost there, okay? We're almost landing the plane. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Check it out. You live well. You live wisely. You live humbly. It's the way you live, not just the way that you talk that counts. All right, you guys ready? I, I, I'm not the one that's throwing these darts. It's, it's, it's the word of God, all right? <clears throat> Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. In fact, it's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish cunning, conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Some of y'all could use this in your marriage. I'm serious. Some of, some of us need this in our workplace. Some of us could use this in our relationship with our parents. Some of us could use this in our relationship with our siblings, with our children. So, some of us could use this in our community. James is telling us here, guys, that as a result of living with Jesus, we're going to look different than culture looks. See, I think James, in this, in this particular ending of the, pack, uh, of the passage, he's actually um, coming against the very thing that culture tells us to do. Culture says, look better than the person next to you, and you'll get promoted at work. Trample over anyone that gets in your way so that you can get to the top. Culture says, you do you, you do you, self-care, all about me, you do you, care about you, and you'll be successful. Jesus comes in, and we learned last week that Jesus says, you want to be great? Become the least of these. James now tells us, you want to be counted wise? Well, guess what? When you try to look better than others, when you try to get the best of others, like when you're constantly trying to win an argument, things fall apart, and, thing, and we all end up at each other's throats. I would venture to say 
God's desire for us is to live completely different than what this passage here is describing. By the way, I don't think this is only going to change our community here at Legacy. I think it'll impact your marriage, your workplace. It'll impact your family life. It'll impact your neighbors. Now I'm going to go ahead and call up the band. And we're going to look at James 3.17. Once again, it says real wisdom, God's wisdom. So let me just stop there. Real wisdom comes from above. Real wisdom comes from above. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. Can I just say it's, it's all right if we in church become gentle and reasonable and overflowing with mercy and blessings? Th- think about that. I, I want you to just think about that sort of community. I'm gonna read it again. What would it look like if in our community we were gentle with each other? We were reasonable with each other. We're overflowing with mercy and blessings. And I just love this line. It says, you can develop a healthy, robust community. That just gives me hope. Because I don't think James wrote that to tease us, to go, whoa, look at this awesome idea, but you can't actually live it out. I love that he says, you can, in fact, develop a healthy, robust community. And you do so by doing the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. You want to know what's hard? Can I get very real with you as we end tonight, today? Do I have your permission to get very real with you? You know what's really hard work? Admitting you're wrong the moment you realize you're wrong. Man, how, how many of you are like me and go, I'm kind of quick to recognize I'm wrong, but I'm not quick to actually then say it out loud and let that person know that I was wrong and that they need to forgive me. Some of you ladies elbowed your husbands and that's okay. You know what else is difficult? Uh, hey man, I, I'm sorry. We, we were talking bad about you the other day and we, and we shouldn't have. Hey, we, we laughed at that joke and, and I know that was too far. We, we should, hey, I know that I put myself in front of, of your needs and I'm so sorry about that. Hey, I'm sorry that I asked you how you were doing and I didn't even stick around to find out how you actually were. Hey, I'm sorry that I, that I was literally flabbergasted when you told me just your reality and, I, and after that I ended up just kind of ignoring. That's hard. That's hard, but what would take place, Legacy Church, if that became our culture, that became our norm? Where we told people, hey, at Legacy Church, that's a community that's willing to do the hard work of getting along with you. That's willing to recognize when we're wrong. That's willing to put ourselves before others. That's willing to treat you with dignity and with honor. Can we be that kind of church? Can we, can we be that kind of church, Legacy Church? Can we be that kind of community that's quick to forgive, quick to recognize, quick to give honor, quick to give dignity? You see, and I'm gonna end it with this. I promise you I will end it with this. We should not just come and meet on Sundays just so that we have a great experience. We do what we do so that we can open up our hearts to each other so that we can open up our lives to each other, so that we can open up our homes to each other, so that when we are in dark moments, when we are on mountaintops, we're not doing so alone. You see, life was not meant for us to be alone. Psalms 133 says it this way, and if you've been in church a a while, you've probably heard this. It says how good and how pleasant it is to come together, the brothers and sisters, in unity. And it says there, in that place, God not only gives a blessing, he commands a blessing. Oh man, that is a beautiful scripture. How beautiful, pleasant it is for us to come together and be a community that speaks well, that lives wisely. And there, God commands a blessing. All right, you may be here and you may be saying, 
I need some of that wisdom. And I'll tell you, I do too. You know what I love about this chapter is that it ends with the gospel. It actually ends with the gospel. It says treating each other with dignity and honor. You see, the gospel brings dignity to those that don't deserve it. It brings honor to those that don't deserve honor. You see, the Bible describes the mission of the church as a whole. It says we have one ministry, one ministry only, and it's called the ministry of reconciliation. It means we are the vehicle that God is using to bring those that have been separated from him by sin and bring them back together with him. And we do so by bringing dignity and honor to each and every person. You might be here today and you might go, I'm undeserving of dignity. I'm undeserving of honor. And I will tell you, you're sitting in a room full of people like that. But we've all decided to put our faith in this guy named Jesus who was willing to wipe all of those mistakes away from our lives and give us a new beginning and a new way of thinking and a new way of talking and a new way of living and loving. If you're here today, I'm gonna ask you that you please bow your heads with me. And if you're here today and you'd say, I want to put my faith in that Jesus. I want him to forgive all of the bad things I've done and all the things I'm even about to do. And I want to accept that he would be the one that would come and save me. And he would be the one that would come and change my bitter soul to sweet. So with every eye closed, if you're here in this room and you're that person that wants to make that decision, I just want to ask that you raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for those hands, God. I pray for those hands, God. You know, you know their name. You know their situation. You know who they are, God. And I pray, Lord, as they have decided today to accept your willingness to wash their soul and their hearts and to forgive them, I pray that you would begin to birth out of them a new person. Pray, God, that as they confess the things they've done wrong, would you come and you forgive, God. Continue to, Lord, to guide all of us to become more and more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're here and you would say, I want that wisdom. I, I want Jesus, that God-given wisdom. I, I want to be able to live that life that gives honor and dignity to all those around me. And if you would like somebody to pray with you for that, our prayer team is gonna be located in the back next to the sound booth where it says prayer corner. Pretty soon I'll ask you all to stand to your feet. We're gonna sing a song and our prayer team will meet you back there at that prayer corner. And if you're in need of prayer for any of these things that we've talked about or even things that we haven't talked about, if you're here and you feel like you need uh, encouragement or, or something is not right in your body and you need healing, our prayer teams will be back there to meet you and pray with you. So let me pray to close us out and we're gonna sing a song will send you all on your way. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, because your word uh, directs us and guides us. And thank you, God, because we can uh, gain wisdom from it. Pray that you would make us a healthy and robust community. Lord, that the things that we might need to bring to the table and release there, would you give us the ability to do so? And even the willingness and the humility to do so. And would you meet us all where we're at this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet and sing this last song.
God, thank you so much that that's true about who you've been and it's true about who you're going to be. We ask that that same faithfulness would empower us this week as we leave this place to take your word into action, God. Put your spirit in us. Let us leave this place with joy today, ready to take on your desire for us, Lord. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be excused. Don't forget to sign up for Rooted at the back on your way out.